All right. Welcome to The Sedated Man. This is a special edition. It's part one of what I call the Daughters series. I want you guys to take a look forward, all of you guys with daughters, and I mean, sure, some of it's going to apply to sons too, but this series is aimed at letting you know what your habits are doing to you now, what, how your habits are going to manifest in your daughters. You know, if you've got great habits, then don't worry about it. But I'm pretty sure that all of us men have habits that we need to deal with because when our kids are young, we think, oh, it's no big deal. But I've got three guests. Uh, tonight will be the first who represent your daughter in the future. The hurdles they've had to overcome because their fathers didn't overcome. The, the problems that their, their daughters had to deal with. The, I mean, you name it. All of the issues simply because a dad chose not to change whatever it was he needed to change. So tonight, we're going to go over the abused. And uh, my guest here is Jen Keikla, and thank you very much, Jen, for coming on. Thank you for having me. Now, no secret, Jen and I have known each other for many, many years, and I know Jen's story, but Jen has agreed graciously to come on here and, and tell her story. So, Jen, there's some people who know you, obviously, who are going to be listening to this, and then there's a lot of people who don't know you. So why don't you uh, give everybody a little background about yourself and you know where you, where you were, where you're at now, that kind of thing. So I am now, I mean, I am, I'm a wife, I have a great husband, and I've got three adult children that I homeschooled all the way to, you know, college or ones actually have gotten to the trades. And um, so I'm like this conquering spirit. I've always had, I've just always had that fun spirit about me. I'm happy, I'm go lucky, and I love to entertain type of person. That's my personality and stuff. Um, background was not good. And honestly, I have hid these facts, a lot of these facts until I'm kind of laying it all out. So yeah, I might be a little emotional. <laughs> That's okay. But Take your time. <laughs> I, I hid them. I, a lot of people knew I was abused. They didn't understand my parents' part of it. Um, so today I get to share all of that. Um, so how I began was my mom um, was working for a lady that lost her husband suddenly in a motorcycle accident. She had a young boy and a teenager, and she asked um, my mom to work against her, I mean, work with her to, you know, kind of watch off to the side and everything else, the kids. So basically they were sharing a work schedule so they can be around for the other kids that were left at home. My mom took care of the young child and the teenager and taught him how to drive, taught him all sorts of things, and ended up getting pregnant with me. Um, she was 25. He was 16. That's how I came about. Um, so she quickly covered all that up because that's kind of bad. You know, that's kind of an ugly truth. So she covered all that up, and then when I was a few months old, she married a man and um, that had a past but married a man and um, I just, she just claimed that I was his from the very beginning. I didn't know any different. Um, that man molested me and for years and years and years. Um, he was, um, he's basically, he was always, I was always told that he was my dad and stuff. He started molesting me when I was young. And then he finally came out and said, actually, I'm not really your dad. I don't even know who your dad is. You need to go talk to your mom about that. 
So um, anyway, it was this big, huge secret, but um, he asked me to keep it hidden because in the 80s, divorce was a big, ugly word. So um, he said, if I told my mom anything about it, I would get, they would get divorced. So I hid it from my mom for a while and stuff. And because I didn't want my parents in divorce, that was in the 80s, that wasn't that common. So that is a little bit about me, but yeah, about my past. Okay. Now, uh, side note was, was your step he was your stepdad. Yes. Was he the only one who ever abused you? No. Okay. And all I, all I'm asking is were the other men, were any of them fathers themselves? Yes. Okay. And that's yeah, all, all, that's all I want. Guys. That's all I want to cover on that. Okay. okay. All right. So, so when did the abuse start roughly? How old were you? Honestly, I have blocked out a lot of my memories from it. Oh, I understand that. Yes. <laughs> I know you do. So whatever you can recollect. Yeah. So I do remember remembering to tell somebody I was about four or five during the first instance, mm. um, as young as four or five, four or five. But yeah, I've, I remember trying to tell my mother, um, and she just said that she'll just, she'll take care of it and she'll talk to him, just, well, let it be whatever, whatnot. And I assume that's when the whole divorce conversation happened. Mm -hmm. and that's why um, he said I can't say anything now um, one of the last attempts that I tried to tell her about the abuse she honestly looked at me she rolled my eyes her eyes and she said well at least you're getting some aren't you and that was about 12 or 13 so the abuse went on for quite quite a few years it did he would come into my room at night he worked in the post office he would come into my room after he got off work and he would do stuff to me or make me do stuff to him. Sometimes he did stuff in front of me. Um, but yeah, and that was when it all, when all of that happened. Okay. So then your real dad, was, was he ever involved with you during this particular portion of your life? Or, was, or did he come back into the picture afterwards? So my real dad was known as a family friend um that's what my mother told me he was he was a family friend um he honestly has a line of wives and mm -hmm. a line of children from all of these different wives and i did find out later that my dad and him continued the meetups even though they were both married um but he did come about when i was about nine or 20 was when Matt and I first started dating about 19 or 20 and he said that he wanted to he want he wanted to meet me get to know me better and things like that and he lived in a different state than I do and um, he said that all you have to do is plan the itinerary here's some of the dates that I can do plan the itinerary get the plane schedule everything else send me the information and I will get back to you and I will have you and fly you and your mother, of course, <laughs> um, over, <laughs> over, and we can spend some time together. And I was all excited because I thought, I have another dad. I have another chance of another guy, somebody who will actually be your dad, you know, mm -hmm. not this big scary monster. So that was nice in public that I saw this big scary monster. 
So anyway, um, he never called back. Actually, he did eight years later. Eight years later, he decided to, it was time to meet up with me. And then I had children, three, three <clears throat> children. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to meet his grandbabies. So he um, grabbed my mother from another town, of course, and then brought them up. And then I did everything I could to make this meetup happen because I was excited this was going to be my dad that I always hoped for. So, um, and then later on, um, and I pushed a lot of things off to the side. My husband was actually very hesitant, but I pushed him to, I guess, because of my hopes were so big on this one. Yeah. But um, he ended up moving back into back. He moved into our, actually he moved into our house for a while and then moved back into our area and stuff to be closer with us. And then he got back together with my mom for reals. Yep. Okay. So looking back just a little then back to your teenagers, how, how do you feel the abuse affected you and your teenagers? What you remember? (laughs) I was angry. Like, a lot angry. Was, um, I remember having massive fits, like throwing fits. Like my, I snuck and did something, and my parents tried to spank me, and it took them both of them to hold me down two hours to try to spank me because I was like this little terror. I was so had so much anger built inside me. Um, I would dress. I thought of myself as a sex object because that's what I was. To that's how you were treated. To, by many men. Yes. Um, so I dressed that way. I remember, <laughs> I remember one time I was about ready to leave the house and my stepdad looked at me and he goes, you're not leaving the house looking like that, which is a common dad response. Yeah. Him, I, I am a little bit, I got a little bit of assassin. I looked at him and I said, what? You don't want to share me? Yeah. And it shut him up. But um it after I the anger and everything else actually helped me to be more jer- driven toward the later teenage well mid teen years I became more driven and purposeful. <clears throat> My mom obviously was not going to help me with this. I tried. And, and she made it very obvious it was not going to happen. So it was in my teenage years that I brought um I I had abusive boyfriends, imagine mm-hmm. that. Um because <laughs> that's yeah. what I knew, and um, but actually, the boyfriend that I had, he was abusive and a loser in so many ways, but he actually, when I told him my story, he actually stepped it up, and um, he got his parents involved, and his mother was involved with the school district, and she got things set up. I had the, um, I had the state come in, take me away, take me to foster care system, set up the court thing, and everything else. They're the ones who got it rolling. But it, I was, I was very, my anger turned into this driven, I'm, I got to help myself now. Right. And that's kind of where that led to. And honestly, I mean, I had to, that whole thing, I had to go into court against my parents. My mother stood with my stepdad and I was alone with my court appointed attorney because my mom always favored him. Right. Um, I was in the foster care system. Um, I got some counseling. I eventually moved back home. <laughs> that would have been exciting because it was a police escort. And I remember sitting in the car 
and watching the police around the house to make sure my stepdad wasn't there. Right. I lived in a small, tiny community, like five, 600 people. I would imagine that was a little interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure the neighbors were talking. Because it wasn't, it wasn't known. He was a really good, sweet guy on the outside. I got to see this. Yeah, that was my dad. Every, uh, everybody and their dog wanted to be his buddy because he was such a nice guy, but not a nice guy when you weren't around or when they weren't around. So, so how do you feel, Jen, overall, how this affected your view of men in general? I honestly, you know, I thought men just wanted sex. They yeah. just wanted, they just wanted to look at girls in that way and only wanted to take them for that. And that's all they wanted from us. So um, I leaned toward those type of guys for a long time. Um, I dressed like that. I actually, um, when I was going through a lot, it got circulated through the school system. There was some stuff going on with me because at one, um, I had to move out. After I moved back in, I had to move back out again because my mom wanted to date my stepdad again. And I said, no more. I'm done. And I actually have court to stand me, stand, and, um, you know, to back me up here saying, I don't need to have him in my life. And I don't want to. I was not ready for that at that point. And my mom didn't care. So um, I had to move out again. I was 17. Mm. So I moved out. Um, I lived with my boyfriend, the abusive one, um, but I walked with a 3.85, graduated high school and everything else because I was going to prove to them that I can do it no matter what. But in high school, I had a teacher and a still a close friend of mine now, but he pulled me off to the side and said, you know, I heard through the grapevine things are going on. I have a spare room. My wife and I would love to take you in and to help you. Well, I saw a man asking me to stay in his bed, you yeah. know, in a spare room. I was like, yeah, anyway, thanks. So, you know, but I did, you know, file that back in to how, you know, he was always respectful. He meant nothing but, you know, but innocence and he wanted to help. That's exactly what he wanted to do, but I couldn't. That's how I viewed men. Yeah, but when you're surrounded by men who have done nothing but show you mistrust, that's the, that's the crayon you color with. Yeah, exactly. So, so now you're a mom of three kids, three adult kids. <clears throat> How do you feel that this affected your view as a mom? Well, I was, I'm going to be honest. I was super protective of them. My babies, um, yep. um, super duper protective. I, I was very, I was very careful. I watched diligently everywhere they were at and everybody who was around them. Um, I didn't, I only allowed a few sitters because I just, yeah, I just, I zoomed them in and I tried to put them in this very tight, tight, tight bubble. Right. And there was still some, some interaction with your stepdad in later years. And that's when you said you supervised, you, you never, you never let him around without eyeballs on. So what happened um, was my stepdad owned it all. He owned it all. He owned it all. And, and he actually, he apologized. He did everything he could um, to, to, you know, get the forgiveness or whatever. But he, he, he was really good in that. And I set up 
massive boundaries, if you can imagine. Okay, if you want to even see me, these things have to happen. And he followed everyone to the T, every single one. Um, but when it came to, and he, he was there when my first one was born, and he said, I don't deserve to even be here, but may I hold your baby? And I told him, I want to see both the hands at all times. And you, and you are only allowed to sit her on your lap a certain way. And you're never, ever, ever will be able to be alone in a room with them. So one time he came over to my house and I had three little kiddos. I mean, like, what were they? Two, two, four, and six, I think. Mm -hmm. And he came over and it was just him and I with the kids. Well, I had to go to the bathroom. I was like, okay, kids, we're all going to go party. <laughs> together. And he just sat there completely, never even questioned, never even gave me a funny look. He, he was just like, if that's what you need to do for me to be here, I, I don't, I don't, yep, I'm oh. own, I own it all. Matt worked hard. My husband worked really hard to make sure I forgave him um, because he did own everything. And he said, you know, if you don't, if something happened, it will control you for the rest of your life because part and of you didn't want to did it i didn't and i told him listen i mean i didn't like put my you know with my husband yeah. very often but i did with that one i was like listen you've got to allow me and trust me and let me to do this on my terms mm -hmm. i want to be pushed to do it but i you when i say stop you have to that's the way it's got to be you got to understand that because I got, I, it's going to be tiny baby steps. And I did. And I'm so glad he did because he ended up getting killed in a motorcycle accident. Yeah. Yep. So veering off a little bit, what, uh, ultimately, what do you wish you could have had from your real dad then? Or do you wish you could have had anything from your real dad? Well, I, always you know i i tried to bring him in and accept him really fast and everything else because he was my other chance to having a dad mm -hmm. you know and I, I i wanted a dad that i would talk with talk deep discussions and spend time with and and he would praise me about things he would say i'm so proud of you for x y and z um that i could trust i could just hang with that you know i could you know ask advice um, that I, I could, you know, just be comfortable around. That's what I, I, that's what I was hoping for. And you never received. I tried, I really tried to, I pushed away a lot of the things that were happening and stuff. Mm -hmm. and it, um, it just, no, it wasn't, it was, it was a lot of put me down, put me down, put me down again. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough. This wasn't good enough. This wasn't good enough. And he was always critiquing me. All this is your real dad. Real dad. Yeah, this is your real dad. So now you've now I know you've shared your story not publicly. This is the first time you've really put it out in public. But I know you've shared your story with many women. So how many women have come to you over the years with similar stories? Um <sighs> is it more than two? I, I, there's been a lot, <laughs> honestly, okay. there's been a lot that I've yeah. helped. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know, one in five 
girls out there have been sexually abused. So it's one been in a five, lot. One in 20 boys have been sexually abused. And that is statistics of, of people that have told their story. Mm-hmm. That's not the ones that have hidden them. And yep. I mean, and I know this is for men and everything else, but I'm telling you, if, if you boy, if you men know of a gal, or if there's a gal listening that has not, that's been through this hurt, this horrible offensive hurt, I'm telling you right now, you've got to tell it out. You've got to give it out. It will control your body, your mental, your health, everything. It will take over and it'll screw you up bad. I'm still, I have knots all over my back still that I have to go in for monthly grinds on my back because yeah. I'm still dealing with some of the stuff that I didn't deal with. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting because I do know that when a person, now this actually, this actually relates, but when a person receives information that they have cancer, they've shown that their immune system drops by 40%. So imagine what a person who carries this type of thing and you're right, the numbers are astronomical. But somebody who carries this type of thing, you know, what's happening in their body constantly, the constant triggers, the constant, you know, I mean, everything. I mean, your hyper- Oh, it, it affects hyper- your relationships. It's, it's, yeah. It affects your body. I mean, just yep. even how you walk. Yep. It affects your health because if you're stressed all the time, guess what? You're going to get sick all the time. Yep. all the time because your body is trying to deal with that stress your anxiety is through the roof you've gotten yeah all of a sudden then you're getting heart conditions yep. you get rashes everywhere i mean it controls you unless you get it out and it's a whole different level of ptsd i mean pe- people think soldiers when they think ptsd and granted i was a soldier for 24 years but but the the type of stress we're talking about you know the body the body, as a side note here, the body doesn't understand that this stress is this and this stress is this. It just understands stress. And it understands different levels of stress. It understands a lot stressed or a little stressed. It understands bad stress and healthy stress. And yes, there is healthy stress. But, mm-hmm. but it doesn't understand why it just reacts. The body's memory, and, and it continues to react. It was explained, the best way it was explained to me Uh, it was explained for soldiers, but I think it applies for the abused as well. The sexually abused is when you hit this part, you get up on the top of the peak. And what happens is our defense mechanism is not to ride that the rest of the way down. It's to veer off. And so once the body does not, now that's fine, maybe once or twice, but when you consistently veer off at the top, and you never ride that thing down, the body is in constant fight or flight. And I've noticed that amongst, because I myself have talked to, I can't even count the number of women who have been sexually abused, you know, as, as kids, as teenagers, as, as full-grown women. And uh, I noticed the exact same triggers in them that I see in a lot of soldiers who have come back from hmm. Iraq or Afghanistan. Now, I can't prove that. I don't have the stats for it. I'm just talking personal experience. So, so yeah. yes, many, many women have come. So. So here's the kicker question then. How did your mom react to the abuse? I mean, you've, you mentioned that she denied it, but there's more to that than just that. Um, well, my mom, she basically, when, when she gave me that when I was 12 or 13, you know, at least you're getting some. Mm-hmm. It, I saw an automatic switch with her that I was instantly her competition. 
mm-hmm. which is sick and sad in so many ways. Um, but I was her competition for so many things. Um, it got way worse as my as I got older. She would people would spend time with me and actually act like they liked me, and she would work hard to convince them or show them or tell them something that's terrible about me constantly mm-hmm. and stuff. And then she would just always just nag and pick. And, and I mean, she just, she just despised so many things about me as my hair. Um, I mean, one of the crazy things is my hair. Okay. She hated my curly hair, hated it. And she would do everything she could to straighten it. And she told me my curly hair was messy and frizzy and I look ridiculous all the time. And every time she saw me, even as an adult, she would look at me. She would say, just want to clone your hair. I'm like, it's fun. It's good. She was like, just hate your hair. Well, thanks. A lot of people like it, but I like it. So that's what counts. But she would, she put on a smile, but she would show everybody else where I was, where I was neglecting something or where I was, right. you know, not great at. She right. was constantly doing that. She ended up getting older and she would, my kids would go over there and I thought it was just toward me, whatever. It's just my mom. I, you know, I never got up. I'm proud of you from her. I, I think yeah. maybe once or twice, maybe once or twice. Um, one time I asked her, I said, can't you just say you're proud of me? Can't you just say that once to my face? And she looked at me and she was fine. I'm proud of you. Is it better about that now? And I'm like, oh, not the point. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I think you missed got that what one. I, but I got what I needed from you because that's what, that's what I need to be loud and clear. But she had ended up, as my kids got older and stuff, they would go and spend time with her at her house, you know, like dinners at the grandparents, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And what my kids told me later on, it was a jab fest of how how quickly they can kick my husband and I under the bus every time that they were there. So my parents never were there for us. I was always the competition and she did everything she could to destroy people's ideas of me and she never she never really owned what happened correct no no nope 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 i want to make sure we cover the 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 quote she gives is my truth is yeah well that's not well it doesn't matter what's going on in there because that's not the truth but but and when i say she denies it she denies the abuse happened she admits that it happened she denies that she didn't help Okay. All right. She denies that she wasn't helpful. She, she thought was part she was of the helpful. problem. She she denies she was part of the problem. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So when did back to your real dad for a second? Did he know while it was happening or did he find out later? And and what was his reaction when he did find out? I honestly cannot tell you if he knew beforehand. I mean, him mm. and my mom were having a lot of time together, so I don't know. And this is while she was with your stepdad? Yes. Yeah, that's nice. And yeah. he was married to whoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, I don't know how much that information got out then, mm-hmm. but um, he, I did tell him later on, and he said that he felt bad, and, and if he would have known, he would have taken me away, and all this type of stuff. But honestly, the, he, he got to show me the truth. Um, 2017, a couple years ago, um, a family member who was running 
he was a runaway fugitive, was staying, the, um, he hid them, him into the, his house. Um, the, my dad and my mom hid the runaway fugitive in his house, in their house, and they were, um, my oldest was living with them at the time. Um, they hid him from the SWAT team that came twice, the feds that came twice, and my dad actually did a police chase. My dad actually ran away, drove the fugitive, the relative, away, trying to take him across state lines while the police were chasing after him. Um, so he showed me through that, just like my mom, protect the abuser, yeah. not the victim, not my daughter who was sleeping across the hallway from this person that the SWAT team and the feds are coming for. That's kind of ugly. And so, and then we went to tell them, you know, when we confronted them with it and said, listen, um, excuse me, you're doing it again. You're making all this go again and you need to admit what you're doing. You need to get some massive counseling. You need to seek our forgiveness in order to even start to have a conversation with us again. Mm -hmm. And um, we prayed and prayed and prayed about this. And we asked God to make it evident if they're going to listen and they will have a change of heart, keep them here. If not, take them away. And guess what they did? They moved two hours away. So yeah. that was our answer. And you've had no contact with them since, correct? None. Yeah. They've tried in different yep. areas, but. Um, but on their terms, not your terms. Yeah because they haven't done any of the other stuff. So no, right. done. You put my kids in the same danger you put me. I'm, you're done. So I gave you a chance. I gave you a big chance. No, I hear you. So how did this affect your marriage then? I'm sure a lot of guys are wondering, well, how, you know, so she, <laughs> she says she's happily married. My husband's this great guy. How has it affected your marriage? I, I got to say my husband saw potential in me and he overlooked a very, I had, uh, obviously, I was a very troubled young woman when the two of us are dating. I was 19. He was 21. And I was, yeah, I was a very troubled girl. I had a, a huge burden package in front. Um, but he saw my potential through all that brokenness. He told me, I was actually asking him the other day. I was like, okay, so after we got married, how long? Do you think it, I mean, would you say that it took for me to, you know, for me to overcome some of these things that was at the very beginning? Um, and he said it was at least five years um, when he would, go, he would work, go to school and come home. And I was in bed by the time he came home and he would wake me up getting into bed. And that's the trigger that you were talking about. Mm -hmm, yep. And I flipped. I would wake up screaming, yelling. I just saw this, this shadow coming at me. Right. And of course clicked. It's, you know, abuse. It's going right. to happen. Again. So I'm punching and screaming and yelling and having a big old tiss fit and everything else. Um, and it took, I mean, we, he actually is like, okay, let's make a plan. How do I make the, let's figure out how to make the reaction smaller. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, let's work on, and he worked hard on trying to build up my trust through that. Um, he 
Um, intimacy was always, you know, there was some issues in that department as well because, and he just had to be super patient with me. He was, he, you know, he knew that I had some massive blockage in that area that I just, there are certain things I was like, eh, eh, it's not happening. Sorry. I can't even go there. And there's still to this day, some things that I just like, nope, not doing that. Sorry. Yeah. But he's been overly patient with me and always building me being gentle and sweet. And he's been my protector. He's, he's exactly what I needed. And I had no idea. He ended up being my knight in shiny armor that I was hoping for in a dad. I was waiting for, for my dad. When I was 13, I found out he wasn't my stepdad. Wasn't my real dad. It was my husband that ended up being that, which is the way it's supposed to be. Same guy you were looking for in those abusive boyfriends. It was, it was the guy I was looking for. Yep. He's been very, very patient with me. <laughs> so, so then the, the steps you've taken in your marriage are he, well, I mean, he took the steps of patience and you in turn had to take the steps of patience also. I had to, I had to learn to trust. Yes. I had to learn he was doing things for me, not to yeah. me. Right. Exactly. And that was a huge thing for me. I had to realize he was doing this for me, for the better of me, to help me to grow um, because he loved me and he protected me and not because he wanted, you know, to damage, create more damage or whatever. Right. And it took a long time and he worked really hard. We had a lot of conversations and we had a lot of just me saying, nope, and freezing up. Nope. Yeah. Not going there. And yeah. Just no. had to wait until I was ready. Yeah. No, I totally get that. Okay, so what would your message to dads be? Now, this isn't the last question about the church. This is what would your message <laughs> specifically to dads be in this particular, based on your experiences and having raised kids and having to deal with this all your life, what would your message be to fathers? Be there for your kids. Spend time with them. Build them up. Listen to their dreams. Listen to their fears. Tell them you're proud of them. Like all the time always building them up if you want your kids to conquer the world you got to show them that you trust them in the little things because those little things will build them to bigger things as they get older and if they they know they have their daddy's trust in the little things they're going to feel more confident to take the bigger steps later on um, in life and also just those praises those words I'm not kidding you. Those praises can help your kid as an adult. They can, they can conquer the world because they got Absolutely. dad's back. Dad is like there. Yeah. Now, as a, now, before we get to the last question, <clears throat> um, you know, I want to reiterate that the whole purpose behind Jen coming out with the story is with her story is there are a number, I mean, there are so many men and I'm going to hit it right where it counts. There are so many men who are struggling with porn. Now, if you think porn isn't an issue, you are delusional. Because the plain fact of the matter is, is that's where it starts. So you think, you know, first it starts out, you're checking out the chicks on Instagram. And then you're moving over to something else. And then you're stepping up and you're stepping up. And it's a proven fact that men will continue to step up until finally things like what happened to Jen happen. Now, you may think that those little things aren't a big deal, but if you're going to objectify women 
and you have a daughter, you are an idiot. And all I'm doing is calling you to a place that's back to God, because this is a, this is a podcast for Christian men. I want you to look at Jen as though she's your daughter from the future and, and the one that came out because you didn't change anything. All the hurdles she's had to overcome, the things she still deals with to this day. In her 40s, I won't give you a specific age, but in her 40s, <laughs> she still deals with it. In my, in my 40s, almost 50s, I still deal with issues, even as a dude. But you look at your daughter next time that you want to check out chicks or you got to crane your neck to look at women in the mall and you think to yourself that some dude is doing that to your daughter. Some dude in the mall is checking out your six-year-old daughter because he can't control himself. Do you want to live on the same level? Or do you want to step up, put your man pants on, and be the man God called you to be? That little girl, that little boy can accomplish anything, absolutely friggin' anything, if you will just step up as a dad and not as a pervert. Don't think God doesn't know what you're doing. Don't think because you see it, nobody else does. Your anyway. daughters are watching too. Yes. They are. If they're looking at you and you're gawking at those girls, guess who they're going to try to be? Yes, I have, I have often said your kids are who you are, not who you want them to be. I mean, Jen said it herself. She went looking for her dad and these abusive boyfriends. God had other plans for her, luckily. But not every girl gets so lucky, do they, Jen? No. 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 I actually, I remember... I remember telling myself, I, I don't deserve this man. I mm -hmm. don't deserve this man. Um, he's too good for me. He's too smart. He's too driven. He's, he's a protector. I don't deserve him. I, I told myself that for years. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So last question, Jen, what is the one thing you feel the church as a whole needs to change? If you could pick one thing, what is it? And I know you've already got it written down. <laughs> So I am, I am one of one the thing. many. I know I am <laughs> one of the many people with all these hurts, with this big hurt, and I'm going to call it an elephant, a big white elephant. Okay, so I'm representing a big white elephant in the church, and I have came up and talked to leaders in the past about some of my emotional issues and seeking out help and direction. They didn't know what to do, so they just kind of walked and shook somebody else's pen and moved along. I really believe the church, there's, there's big white elephants, do you say the PTSD? I say um, depression, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mm -hmm. all these things. There's so many other things that are these big, huge white elephants that everybody, the, the church is scooping it under the rug because they don't know what to do with it. But I'm telling you, there's these people that are coming. I didn't grow up in the church. But we're coming in, and we're, we're looking for healing. We're looking for peace. We're looking for hope. And if you guys don't have the tools, the guidance, or the understanding that we just need somebody to pray with us, to hold our hand, to help us, to make the appointments, to show us where to make the appointments, to figure out which direction we need to go, somebody to stand by us the whole way as we're healing because the whole i'll pray for you these deep hurts need more than that yeah these big white elephants need more than that i feel the church needs to 
um, educate themselves and they need to figure out a plan to help the hurting. One in five girls, one in 20 men that admit that's just sexual abuse. There's so many hurting people out there and the church is not educated, equipped, or have any understanding of how to help or guide or, or just protect or, or even just stand beside them. We're like these, ah, ah, okay, I'm going to go over here. I don't know what to do with you. Right. And that's not going to help us. We need that. We need that support. So I think the church needs to build up a system to help these people that are these bearing these big white elephants and stop scooping them under the rug and stop and start walking alongside them to helping them to the path of healing. So the, so the church needs a plan to bear one another's burdens is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Because yes. bearing one another's burdens isn't just when your finances are bad or when you've got some issues in your marriage. No, no, it's these big, ugly white elephants no. that they don't know what to do with. But they yeah. need the education. They need the resources. They need, they need direction. They need a plan. Yeah, it's very interesting because uh, I did a, an interview with, with Shane O'Neill of Proven Men, and they are an anti-porn group, and they, they help men. And he said it is, it is the hardest thing to get a church to actually start a sexual purity group because the men won't show up because they don't want anybody to know that they've got a porn problem, that they've got a sexual impurity problem. And he said, although it would make a tremendous difference, getting them to show is really, really difficult. And, and that makes perfect sense, unfortunately. So anyway, Jen, I want to I thank you for coming on. And uh, tonight's was abuse. The uh, next one we'll be covering part two will be neglect and neglect and abuse can happen at the same time, but we're going to talk uh, a little more specifically about neglect and less about abuse because neglect is its own issue. Mm -hmm. So if you've watched this and you want to hear it uh, on, on an podcast form or you want to send it to somebody in podcast form, you can find us on anchor.fm. You can find us on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Radio Public, CastBox, Breaker, and Spotify. If you would like to contact us, you can contact us through Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And of course, the videos, if you listen to the podcast, you want to see the videos, those will be on Facebook and YouTube. Just look for The Sedated Man in both. If you want to talk to me specifically, it's Mike at thesedatedman.com. Now, some of you may have questions for Jen, and she has agreed to answer any and all questions that you have. However, please send those questions to me. Do not, do not bug Jen directly. I know a lot of you may know her, but I would ask that you would filter those questions through me so that she's not getting a barrage. She doesn't need that. Be respectful, please. So with that, I want to thank everybody for coming and go forth and conquer.